0: Hey everyone, in honor of Women's Equality Day, we're back with one of our most popular episodes. In our second Samantha spinoff, we spoke with Dr. Allison Lang, a historian of women's suffrage and visual culture, and a great friend to the show. She talks about Aunt Cornelia's speech style, the Susan B. Anthony Barbie, and Black suffragists you ought to know, plus much more. We'll be back with new content in your feeds very soon, and we hope you're all doing well.
1: morning in 1912, Samantha Parkington Edwards, Nellie O'Malley Edwards, with Aunt Cornelia, Agnes, Agatha, Bridget, and Jenny board the ship back home from England after doing a grand lady's vacation to get away from the hustle and bustle of New York for the week of Easter. The ship was taking them home was the newest and most talked about ship RMS Titanic. The ladies cheered, waving goodbye to England with their hankies in hand and looking forward to seeing Uncle Guard with young Samuel, more than likely playing with Jip and driving Gertrude crazy. <laughs>
0: You've just heard a truly stunning teaser to an amazing fanfic we received from one of our listeners that is a truly prized submission to our guard zine, Uncle Guard zine, which is now available on our website. We'll also put a link into the show notes of this episode. We just want to thank everyone who submitted to the scene. It's truly incredible. We have amazing artwork, we have memes, we have collage, we have fan fiction, we have writing about your first car, a listicle about the Henry Ford Museum. Like it's all happening in this scene. So please check it out. And now that I've gotten that amazing promo out of the way, Welcome, everyone, to American Girls, the podcast. This is the podcast where we'll be reliving the American Girls
2: series book by book. I'm Mary. You'll learn on this episode that I'm Other Allison. Wow. I'm still not over that, huh? So, this episode features a really amazing interview with Professor Allison Lang. And in the course of this episode, you will hear me refer to as other Allison as opposed to still Allison. So it's a bit of a shock for all of us. But Mm -hmm. we I mean, this month of October 2020, we have nailed these huge interviews. We have Professor Lang in this episode, and then we talked to Anne Helen Peterson in our later episode. So it's just such a month for us.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're so lucky that we got to talk to these incredible guests. So we're so excited to share these conversations with you.
2: And I want to say a special thank you to listener Danny, whose fan fiction was read by our really good friend, Eric. As you mentioned, Danny really graciously allowed us to share and do this kind of fun interpretation um, with their work at the start of the episode.
0: And we couldn't think of a better person to read a guard-centered piece than our dear friend, Eric, who routinely wears three-piece suits as a teacher. He is the most stylish person that I'm friends with, like not even close. And as I told Allison, like this feels like karma, destiny, kismet, because when Eric was defending his dissertation, I got the flu and Steffi the Saturn died on the same day. So I could not attend his dissertation, which is something I still feel bad about. But it's very exciting for us that he's here.
2: And Eric's a teacher, and we're not going to do the hero discourse, but teachers are really amazing for everything that they're doing right now. And we just really want to support him and everyone else who's in the classroom, in their house, trying to teach from you know, anywhere. And Eric does it in a three piece suit. So thank you, Eric. And thank you, Danny.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Eric. In the words of our heroes, thank you for being a friend. Yes.
2: Honestly, there is so much to say about the guard zine, but I want people to really explore it on their own. And we had so much fun talking to Allison.
0: We did. And, you know, this is like a dream episode of ours for a while. Like we became acquainted with Allison um, after we were so lucky to get to do an event with her about her book a few months ago. And, you know, we've been planning this ever since. So it was a conversation that I was really looking forward to because obviously we're living through the suffrage centennial and there's so much to say about it. And it's really nice to have like the expert or like one of the top experts to kind of guide the conversation or at least engage us as we throw any and all questions at her
2: yeah let's get right to it
0: hey everyone do you remember that scene and you've got mail when meg ryan and tom hanks are having lunch together and i think it's tom hanks's character who says you know it's back to school season and i wish i could send you a bouquet of sharpened pencils um you know that doesn't really relate to hello fresh but i will say that i think about that all the time as we approach fall and back to school season and hello fresh is something that can also help you prepare for a transition that i know i am personally not emotionally or spiritually prepared for HelloFresh's family-friendly menu is a big win for back-to-school season with easy, delicious recipes for drama-free dinners, and who doesn't love a drama-free dinner except, you know, I like to keep my drama dinner about conversation and behavior, not necessarily the food. You can also get better value with HelloFresh. Um, it's over 30% cheaper than shopping at grocery stores with pre-portioned ingredients and ensure you won't spend money on excess food that ends up going in the trash. You know, I really love um, making HelloFresh with my wife Anna. It's really fun. It's really a fun activity to do together, um, and I highly recommend that for anyone who's looking for you know almost like a staycation vibe in your own house. Like cooking together is a really great fun activity. If this sounds like fun for you, you can go to hellofresh.com/americangirls14 and use code AmericanGirls14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. And HelloFresh now has their fall harvest officially on their site, so you can go there and check seasonal recipes like pumpkin cinnamon rolls and Friendsgiving ready sides. I know I'm really excited to try the pumpkin cinnamon rolls myself. So if you want to join me, again, please go to HelloFresh.com slash AmericanGirls14 and use promo code AmericanGirls14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. Okay, everyone. And before we jump into this episode, we just want to say a very special shout out to a very special listener, Allison Lang's mom. Thank you so much for listening to all of our episodes. We're so, so appreciative. And we just want to give everyone a heads up that at the end of the episode, we're going to be giving a very special first anniversary shout out and giving some exciting information about an update to our store and some information about our Patreon. So stay tuned. Allison's like, what a lucky day for me. And I'm sitting here with two of my favorite Allison's who both luckily spell it the same way. So we won't have to deal with Allison H going at Allison Lang about how she spells her name. So thank you. Thank you for that.
1: I am so glad that, you know, my mother always said that the reason that she spelled it the way she did was so that uh, it was easy to spell Um, because she's a, she was a teacher. So this was kind of, she knew she wanted a standard spelling of Allison. So (laughs) clearly the correct one.
0: I feel like Allison is such a name of our generation. Like there are so many Allisons compared to now. Like I don't know many like children Allisons, but then again, maybe I just don't know many kids. (laughs) It could be both. Is that your
2: sense? Yes. There were five in my high school graduating class. And I have met so few since, truthfully. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Actually,
1: I don't think I had many in my high school, but since then, yeah, I I haven't. I don't have too many Allison friends.
0: Interesting. Now you have another one. (laughs) Just
1: the right one.
0: Just (laughs) her. And I should also add, we're being joined tonight by Allison's suffragette, cat, who is in the background. I see her.
2: If I may, Mary, she is a suffragist. I don't, I don't mean to, I don't, excuse me, I'm so sorry, I'm so embarrassed. I I only want to be clear about where she's from, and because that was a question that we got as to whether one Mm -hmm. is a suffragist or a suffragette, so honestly, when you look at Nabi quickly, like, oh, she's English, she's very dignified, she's a suffragette, Sure, but she's been very clear to me that she is a suffragist. Yep. So she is is an American girl, American cat, and she's named after Abigail Adams.
0: I just was really focusing on not noting her physical appearance. Like I didn't want to say she was hot because I've read Allison's (laughs) book and I know about the tradition and suffragist visual culture where early 20th century, like we start to think about them as beautiful as opposed to late 19th century. Allison, am I wrong here? Is that fair? You're correct. You're correct. So that was not my mind, but I'm sorry I, for what I did. I know just it.
2: Did. None of and us want to I'm sorry. You have to watch Nappy. this.
0: This is embarrassing, but what a way to start the show. But Allison, I mean, my Allison, I'm happy you're here too. Whatever. Moving on from that. Allison Lang, I can't believe you're here on the show finally. I mean, we. I feel like we're friends. I don't know if that's fair. I think it's fair. I mean, Allison told me she's texting with you and like, I don't have your phone (laughs) number. So that feels like an awkward power imbalance. So I'm just going to put that out there. But thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to to talk to both of you. I think your work is amazing. I think that, you know, there are a bunch of women's historians who have, you know, had this path to this field. And I think that it's really fun
2: to chat
1: about it.
0: (laughs) I mean, we're so excited to get into it. Allison, do you want to kick us off? Like, where do you want to begin?
2: I would love to. Also, you made me sound very desperate for friendship by saying that I bragged about us texting, which I am. And no, it's fine. No,
0: I'm just saying, like, I don't have her phone number. Like, <laughs> I
2: was like, I we, felt texting. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I don't text with Jane Addams, about Jane Addams with a lot of people. But when I do, it's very high level. So... The day you
0: start texting with Jane Adams is when I come in right. and I put you yes. somewhere, just for your own safety.
1: Don't worry, Mary. you can have my number if we're gonna like <laughs> rectify this power imbalance. Okay. You know that's what our work is about. Thank <laughs> you. The power relations here.
0: Hundred <laughs> percent. Thank you. I feel like Cornelia would give me your number too. I'm just gonna say. I think them. she would,
1: for a I few reasons. She <laughs> and she would invite you to the next suffrage meeting. I
0: think she would. I mean, I don't know if she's my favorite, if she would have the effect on me that she had on Grand Mary, which is sort of like, <laughs> out, like beyond belief that like she converts Grand Mary in one okay one each. speech. One speech. Beyond It's me.
2: impressive. It is. I th- she was foreshadowing Eminem. She was like, one shot, one speech, one shot, Cornelia armed spaghetti. Um, We are really excited to talk to you sort of about depictions of suffrage and the culture of suffrage that runs through Samantha along with other things because our listeners really had a lot of questions that I think you're best suited to answer about that culture. And just to kind of take us back, because I know you just did a really clean and fresh reread of Happy Birthday, Samantha. Um, So if you can actually just like fix your crown for your flower crown for a second. Um, What rings true for you about Cornelia? Cornelia in rereading that book? You know, I think that it
1: it's, she's kind of this early 20th century version of like an ideal suffragist, right? She's this young woman. I don't think we know that she's well-educated or not, but kind of probably she was, like if we had to make a guess, she was probably educated at, you know, one of these, you know, elite women's colleges. But we can make it a guess that she kind of became part of these suffrage organizations. You know, learned how to speak from these suffrage leaders, and this was a moment when there were a ton of, you know, outdoor um, speakers. In a way, there are these fantastic photographs of suffragists speaking to crowds, and one of the things that was really different from the image that was in the book versus the images that I've seen is that. A lot of those women speaking to crowds were speaking to groups of men, mm. overwhelmingly men in the streets. Whereas um, in Samantha's book, it's largely women, which mm. is an interesting contrast. It's not necessarily wrong. I mean, there certainly would have been spaces where it would have been largely women at a at a meeting, for example. But um, a lot of the speeches given uh, like on a street corner in a public space, um, those mm. were... Men and women. And there are some fantastic and fascinating pictures of women giving speeches and just totally surrounded, crowds of men surrounding them. Um, And it even feels kind of intimidating when I Mm. look at a a photograph like that. Mm.
2: Thinking of those pictures of the women in, they almost look like delivery trucks. And there's a famous one that's suffragettes go to Boston. That's how it's labeled. And Honestly, it just it looks like they're at a middle school or a junior high because there's all these young men just like throngs around the truck. And I I think what's so smart about your work, because you look at visual culture, is what's happening in this photograph, right? Like there's a lot of different things happening. But I think at first glance, your eyes are drawn to the women and to the truck. And then you start looking at all these kind of like cheeky young men playing around. And I love Few things more than the thought that that might be the only picture they ever got to be in.
1: Mm, that we and, still and what, have. what a strange yeah.
2: thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, true, true, yeah, yeah. That, that's a, that's a fascinating point. I mean, th- this is
1: a like great moment to say if you have photographs of your relatives, now's a good time to write their names down <laughs> and write down like as much as you know about them, because then when they get into the archives and someone like me goes in and like is interested in finding. Suffrage history, for example, I found so many, so many photographs that, you know, don't have any names associated with them. We just know very little about them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still fascinating in their own way, but yeah, it's 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 tough to tough to get a lot from a photograph when you don't have any identifying information. Do
0: you have a case where you know thinking about our listeners who are not professional historians but are very interested in history and and the practice of history? Something that I love hearing about is actually kind of the behind the scenes stuff. Like, what does your research look like? So when you say like there's a lot of photos that you find without names. Do you have a case where you found a photo and you really wanted to know who the person was and you were able to figure it out? And how did you do it?
1: I wish. (laughs) Um, (laughs) By the time photographs get to me, they've been largely curated by, you know, professionals who, professional librarians, archivists, and they have done a lot of the work of identifying the people in the photograph. So they are largely, and, and if they recognize, you know, Susan B. Anthony in a photograph, they're most likely correct. Although I have found, I guess this reminds me that I have found a few where I'm like, I don't think that's actually Lucretia <laughs> Mott, um, but not that many. Uh, but I have never identif- been able to identify someone that that wasn't previously identifiable. Um, so unfortunately, no fabulous <laughs> stories about that to share. Um, but it's it's like a it's a real combination of digital research because there are so many amazing photographs online now. Um, and if people are interested in looking at them for themselves, you know, one of the collections that led me to my work was the Library of Congress Women of Protest collection, which is all free, easily accessible online, and mm-hmm. is kind of fun to go through.
2: So knowing what you know about Cornelia, right, that she gives this one speech and wins over sort of a woman of the previous generation, knowing how she presents herself, that she has some money, do you think she had what it would take between 1905 and 1920 to make it in the big leagues, right? Like Part of what you write about is women who are sort of celebrities, right, in in, in a, a sort of very real and new way around the turn of the century. Does she have the talent? Does she have the look?
1: Wow. I'm, I'm not
2: trying to represent her, but like, do you think she would have had what she would need to get up there?
1: She would have fit in quite well. So she's a fairly well-off young woman. She presents herself as you know, pretty uh, feminine. But I was looking at her... Speech and the thing that she does not have is an actual argument, right? So she says, We must vote, we must make up our own minds. And it's, you know, not making an actual case for women voting, it's just stating that women should vote, which is not what the suffragists did.
0: But do you think maybe that's you're hitting on why Grand Mary was so moved by it? Because Basically, she was like, wow, that doesn't actually make me change my mind about anything because she's not really make like asking me to do anything. So it's like, oh, well, if I just can think what I've been thinking now, fine, I'll support whatever this is, which you haven't really explained.
1: Yeah, I think that's possible, except that the suffragists, or a lot of the suffragists, especially white, middle, and upper class suffragists under the National American Women's Suffrage Association, actually. Not only kind of said things will be, be the same, but things will be the same. women will still be fantastic mothers and wives and contributors to you know the the household um and even better like their their roles as mothers and caregivers will be strengthened by the vote. so it a lot of them were arguing that it would be the same, but more so
0: fair I'm not saying fair a lot enough. of them
1: believed that <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh, man. It's just, she's not super convincing. I mean, do you think Uncle Gard is a suffragist?
2: Yeah, I do.
1: What
0: do you guys it's think? It's hard to say what he is.
2: Okay. Here's why I think he is. Because some of my favorite stories about like women in cars and the suffrage movement, and I think he focuses on the car element. Like He hears <laughs> about the cross-country trips. Yes. He hears about the big yellow ride and he hears about those two women. He's like, my wife, I, he's like, I get it. I see it. I get it. He understands. No, he understands that the movement is queer. Like he, he gets it. And I think he also sees the car trips and that's something he can get behind. I'm, I'm being serious. Like I think the I car. Agree. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think that, you know,
1: one of the myths of the suffrage movement is that all these suffrage supporters were women and that is, absolutely not true. And the movement could not have succeeded without male supporters like guard. <laughs> wow. A
0: hero. Who knew? A hero of suffrage. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know what this man stands for unless it's like his love affair with cars and certainly not Cornelia. I'll say that there's no real great love story there that I can tell. And I think Valerie Tripp knew it and was like, I can't, Legally, like just like being a true to myself author, I can't put this in the book, their wedding, because I won't like I can't stomach writing it like it's not true.
2: Here's a question. Would you rather, Allison, write a spinoff that includes Teddy Roosevelt or Alice Roosevelt and why? Teddy Roosevelt.
1: Alice Roosevelt is
2: fascinating. I think my students are
1: always fascinated by Theodore Roosevelt and I think that his like dramatic shift to support suffrage is really fascinating. And I think it would be compelling to a lot of people, even though I would secretly want to write about Alice Roosevelt for myself. I think there's a hmm. far broader audience of Theodore Roosevelt fans.
0: I think that's probably true. I mean, Alice has never gotten as famous, I guess, or as popular among even biography readers as I would have imagined. I mean, having read approximately one bio, admittedly, of her, I was like, it took over my life for about a week and a half. I was like, I can't believe I didn't know all of this stuff about this person. Like, she's out of control. I mean, the fact alone that she insisted on serving creme brulee as dessert every time someone came to her house for dinner, I was like, a hero for our times. I also insist on dessert every night. So, relatable. For sure. Is it creme brulee? I didn't have creme brulee this evening, and that's a shame, but... You know, I do admire that. Although she herself did not support suffrage, which is tough. That was, but a tough you know,
1: moment. Teddy Roosevelt did. But it was after I his mean, presidency, yeah. so too little, too late.
0: His post-presidential life is like the definition of acting out. Yes, and potentially yeah. a midlife crisis. I mean, he had a lot of crises. <laughs> <laughs> True.
2: So something I'm I'm really curious about because people ask this question in many different ways, and I know that you've also been asked this question a lot of different ways. I think Teddy Roosevelt for a lot of people is not so different from someone like Elizabeth Cady Stanton, where they're sort of a problematic fave. And I think, I think we live between these different cultures where for some people they would say, you know, I don't have problematic faves because they're my faves. So they're inherently not problematic, which is, not always useful. And then you have people who just say, well, Susan B Anthony is canceled. And and that cuts the conversation off as well. So I think both are ways of foreclosing further analysis. I think Teddy Roosevelt is one of those people where depending on which piece of your story you're looking at, you feel very differently about it, and they all go together because he's one person and and we can't unpack it. A lot of people asked us when we put out a call for questions about white supremacy in the women's suffrage movement and just because it also happened today, you know, something like the Susan B. Anthony Barbie, you know, what do we do with that, right?
1: I think that's a really good question, and I think we're still figuring that out. Um, one thing that I think is really important is that we hold our like male historical figures to the same level of scrutiny as we hold our female historical figures to. So it's not fair to critique Susan B. Anthony and not critique someone like George Washington for you know, ownership of, of enslaved people. So I think that we are going to have to develop a more complex understanding of these historical figures. That both values the things that they did contribute because someone like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth K. Stanton did contribute significantly um, to the organization of a women's rights movement and the leadership of that. But as you already said, they they had some really um, racist beliefs that 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 drove some of their organizing and it's it, it is disappointing. Um, but I think that, setting them aside entirely is a mistake as well, because it's really useful to look to the past and realize that women have tried to organize women's rights movements before us and realize that there's like a longer lineage of this work. Um, And I think that the value for us today is to look at them and say, I don't like the way they did it, um, and I can do it differently. So I think that that's that's one way we can kind of both value their work um, and
0: critique it. I mean, I'm interested in how like suffrage and suffragists have been commemorated since the passage of the amendment even before. I mean, do you see kind of like long durée changes in how we think about them? Um, Is it gone from like a very kind of like oversimplified narrative of, they were erased or not memorialized at all to now to then like lionized to now complicated, or how do you see it?
1: It's really changed. So the first, the first major history of the suffrage movement actually came out in 1881. So long before the passage of the 19th amendment. However, by then women in Wyoming territory were voting Um, there were Western states thinking about it and plenty of places where women were actually voting in local school and city elections. So um, it was on it, you know, in the early stages, but it's changed a lot. So the history of women's suffrage was edited by Elizabeth Kitty Stanton, Susan B. Anthony and Matilda Jocelyn Gage. And they were very selective about who counted as a suffragist. It was really a significant focus on white women, Um, no men, no women of color. Um, I shouldn't say no, because there are certainly some allusions to someone like Sojourner Truth. Um, But even white women who were founding the the competing organization to them received very little attention in -hmm. this text. And so that's it. It started out very differently. And I think it's very different in 2020.
2: I feel like it's, it's like melodramatic to throw to Joe March, but I I like genuinely think that Louisa May Alcott hit it right on the head when she said, you know, through Joe, women should not vote because they are angels, but because they are people. Yes. And I, I think part of what you're saying too, is like, there is this inherent hypocrisy in wanting suffragists to be perfect when it only makes perfect sense that they were products of their time. And I also say that to say there were also black suffragists who were products of their time, who were thinking 30 years ahead. And it's just part of our education that we haven't learned about them in the same way because they weren't given access to the same cultural capital to publish books.
1: Yes. And it's also fair to say that, you know, Susan, Anthony, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton were products of their time. So was Lucy Stone, who was collaborating um, on a much greater scale with black women so was jane adams who helped found the national association for the advancement of colored people you know unfortunately you know that that didn't always translate into suffrage work um so it's on the one hand it's okay to hold you know these these historical figures to other standards because there're certainly examples of women who were thinking more broadly about equality than just white women's right to vote but
2: hmm.
1: yeah it's it's a tough situation and and you're right to point out that we're just now learning about so many suffragists that, that we had, that had kind of been lost for a long time.
2: So someone asked us a question about Alice Paul, and it's pretty short and sweet, but it's how relevant is she really? And I think that's actually really, I think that's a, no, I think it's a really good question because it gets at this kind of divisiveness in the early 20th century, right before the 19th amendment is actually ratified. Yes,
1: I think Alice Paul is quite important actually, maybe to the <laughs> disappointment of this question asker. <laughs> um, so we, you just mentioned Joe March's argument for suffrage and that's an argument that suffragists really made particularly in the mid 19th century. And then it kind of fades out of fashion but Alice Paul brings up that argument again in the 1910s. like She's arguing that women need the right to vote because they're equal, mm-hmm. not because they're going to be great, better mothers. Um, And so that's one really valuable thing that she does. But the even more valuable thing, you know, for my research um, and and my analysis of the way that media is part of the suffrage movement, Alice Paul brings much needed life and attention and press to the movement. Um, She goes to Britain. She learns how to kind of create these popular protests. She brings them back to the United States. She's the first, you know, she in the National Women's Party launched the first ever picket at the White House. And, you know, in 2020, in the 21st century in general, you're always going to see someone protesting at the White House. So that's, I think that she is quite important um, in the history of the suffrage movement.
0: Hello everyone, this is Mary and I'm back to talk about Magic Spoon, one of our favorite products that we discuss here on American Girls Pod. Um, It is still Leo season, thank God, and Magic Spoon is something that really speaks to me as a Leo. It's both good for you as all Leos are, and you know, it's, it's really luxurious. I don't know if you've tried it so far, but I would definitely check it out. You know, if you care about such things as, you know, health, which arguably I don't. It might be important for you to know that it has 0 grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only 4 net grams of carbs in each serving, along with 140 calories. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. But I'm going to be real with you, I don't really care about any of that. To me, it really comes down to flavor and taste. So if you get the variety pack, you can try cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. And I really like to mix some of the flavors, so I'd recommend, for example, mixing cocoa with peanut butter, which makes it kind of taste like a peanut butter cup. Also, if you've tried and loved the flavors cookies and cream and maple waffle, you'll be happy to know that those are now going to be back permanently, so you can check those out. If you want to send this to a Leo in your life or try it yourself, go to magicspoon.com slash americangirlspod to grab your delicious cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code americangirlspod at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with an 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of cereal at magicspoon.com slash American Girls Pod and use the code American Pod to save five dollars off. Allison, any other questions from burning questions from listeners right now or
2: um so many that I love, but one is are suffrage plays funny? Or like do you enjoy do you do you enjoy I, I've actually paraphrased some of these questions to my own liking. However, I I'm thinking of people like Inez Mulholland and like the real theatrical elements of suffrage and like, have you read them? Are there any that you're going to be recreating in a tableau with your friends, 19th century style, with us? With us? I I mean, you know,
1: I would love to, and I think that if the pandemic had not happened, we would have seen a lot more of that this year. Um, There are some fabulous suffrage plays that you can find the screenplays for there's a book of them even um, they were really funny right like that's how you bring people over to a cause you entertain them and they they like make fun of gender roles I have I've had my students do a play from I think like the 1850s or something about you know men and women not doing what they're supposed to do <laughs> um, and it's 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 silly it's fun and yes they're they're worth taking a look at.
0: I don't want to say I don't believe you that they're funny, but in my experience, things in history that were hun- funny 150 years ago, I read them and I'm like I can't follow these jokes. Like they're way too inside.
1: That's a fair concern. And I think that one of the things that's interesting about like suffrage plays because they're always critiquing gender roles and it's even in the 21st century when like someone on SNL or whatever other sketch show or whatever, um, when a man dresses up as a woman, we know that that's supposed to be funny. I mean, there was just a comment going around on Twitter about Joe Biden's mask, you know, wearing a mask and how that was connected to like, he he should just wear a purse, you know, as, as this like feminized, emasculating thing. And so I think that, you know, this gender swapping humor is still kind of part of our culture. So maybe that resonates.
2: Can I just say, normalize, I don't care if it's a purse. I don't carry a purse. Normalize everyone carrying their own stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Backpacks are central to my relationship with my husband because I turned to him and I was like, I'm not carrying your stuff. No, just like as, as like a basic thing where it was like, we will purchase accoutrement that we can take on vacation because I have a lot of needs. I'm very pale. I need sunblock. I need hand sanitizer. And so does everyone. So we will be sharing, you know, so I, regardless, I've read a few different suffrage plays and they were not funny. And I I also totally believe you. But I think part of why they were not funny, they never really took off. So they weren't the popular one. Um, I've read Alva Vanderbilt's unsuccessful suffrage play from the early 20th century and Harriet Hansen Robinson's also unsuccessful late 19th century play. And they just did not get it done for me and i think part of it though is we've also talked about this with old-fashioned films they're so overwrought like they're leaving nothing to the imagination you have to imagine like lighting is probably very poor makeup is like definitely poisoning you in real time it's not great like i i couldn't find anything funny about it but then there are other writers from the suffrage movement like lucy stone i find to be just so powerful because she's so out there in the same way that a John Brown is out there. Like I think if they existed today, they would be on Instagram with like 25 part stories.
0: And like weird collage, like weird collage <laughs> so. work that only they understand. And then they're like, I'm unpacking yes. this in my IG live show. Like if you don't show tune in Sunday at nine, like you're not real. Like you're not really part of the movement. Lucy Stone would not be
1: posting any selfies, but her daughter would be posting photographs of her mother is how it would work.
0: That's like, I mean, that's a fascinating generational relationship, like within a single movement to make your daughter, like, I don't know how much the daughter just felt compelled to like, remember her mom and make sure her mom had her place in history. Or if the mom on the side was like, and you will make sure that I end up in every history book. Or else
1: it could have been a little, Interesting. Above, but Alice Stone Blackwell, her daughter, really believed in that she really thought it was important that people remember her mother and always said over and over that her mother didn't want to be remembered, which I think is like part of this posturing um around famous nineteenth century women so that it doesn't look like they're overstepping and and want to be famous in any way. so. But
0: that's what I really loved about your book was that it really hit home to me, like vanity as something that's so central, not as a negative trait, but they had to consciously say, I am going to be photographed, you know, like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stan doing that photo shoot, which is kind of insane in hindsight, where they're both like (laughs) pretending to read a book together and like, you know, like these goofy poses where you're like, what is this? but trying to like hit you over the head with like, we're learned and we are the centers of this movement. Like we're hyping ourselves. We're a two women hype team. And you might look at that and say like, that's crazy. But first of all, like men do that all the time. So just saying that, but that they had to do that to further the, these beliefs that they have believed in so strongly and that that wasn't a bad thing. And it wasn't really about their egos per se. I'm sure on some level it was, but I don't know, like that, even though on some level, I guess I've always seen these photos, I didn't really think about kind of the motivation behind it.
1: Right. And that's a really important point because a lot of women didn't, you would have gone to a photographer like Napoleon Cerny in the 1870 session that you're referencing. They would have gone to that photographer. They would have had their photograph taken. They would have gotten a lovely little carte de visite, which are these tiny little cheap photographs were very popular in the mid 19th century, but they would have given them to friends, family members, and they would have put them in photo albums. But Anthony and Stanton had far larger audiences. And Sojourner Truth is another person who's really thinking about um, getting her photograph in front of people. Um, And it's because there are very few portraits of individual women that are part of popular culture in the 19th century very few that recognize them as important
2: i think with stone part of what her story brings up for me and like thinking about cornelia as a speaker and that she probably would have had some kind of training in elocution and we have a lot of smithies who listen to this show so we've just decided right now that she went to smith because I, I think that tracks We're but in. i think it's I fine. Think it But I think part of what's so interesting about Stone and other people of that century and also like the more you read of someone like a Frederick Douglass, like the power of the word and being able to speak and, you know, being a good orator is something that I think about a lot. Like what, what makes a person a good public speaker? What, what do they do? How does gender play into all of that? You know, like what kind of voices do people want to listen to? And I, I kind of think there's probably some false modesty or some, you know, gendered historical modesty with Stone. But I also think there's something so powerful to saying, like, I want you to value me for the words that I put out into the world instead of what I look like. And I think Jane Addams, because we've talked about this recently, like making her autobiography, the story of the place she made is a similar kind of move. Like there, there is a thing of, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not important. There's a deferential piece, but I think it's also saying like, I want to be valued for this thing I do instead of who I am. But that actually wasn't working, (laughs) you know, like, you know, Douglas is like this really powerful orator, but then people want to see him. Mm. And he's this kind of perfect hybrid of like, he gets it that people want to see him and that his humanity kind of hinges, unfortunately, on people looking at him as well as hearing and reading him.
1: Exactly. Because in the 19th century, Frederick Douglass, as a Black man, a very... Well-spoken black man is in some ways considered to be a, a curiosity, and so is lucy stone. Um, there was there was a ton of cartoons, a couple of them specifically, like imagining what Lucy Stone looked like, and one of them just had her head as like a stone itself. Tough. And so Tough look
0: <laughs> the nineteenth century was a wild, very weird time, and I say that as a compliment, mostly. <laughs>
1: Yes, I, I yeah, it, and so when when you're thinking about Douglas and Lucy Stone, um, they are really challenging in order to challenge these stereotypes, racist, sexist stereotypes. That's why Anthony and Stanton and and Truth, you know, distribute their photographs, and and that's why Lucy Stone isn't quite as well known and isn't doesn't kind of like gain that recognition that that she deserves because she just never. Works takes it to the next level to get herself out there. It'd be kind of like someone, you know, yeah, on Instagram, not ever posting a photograph of themselves. It's kind of like a little.
0: Like, okay. I'll just I'm laughing because my wife's Instagram account she refuses to be in it. When I first met her, I looked at her Instagram. I was like, I don't know. I'm seeing a lot of photos of like hills and trees, and like she likes the outdoors.
1: Was she trying to be a woman's rights leader though? She, you know.
0: Well, she did go to Smith, so I don't know. Like, maybe I guess it's part of it. Could be. Very
2: I have possible. also never appeared on my own Instagram. That's true. You know.
0: A- Allison's even more dramatic about that than Anna, although I think it's probably the same. They just, it's part of their, it's part of Allison's mystique.
2: I'm thinking, though, as you were talking too, like, <laughs> there's that famous indictment when Ida B. Wells goes to Europe and people are saying, She's going on that trip for an income, not an outcome, which I feel like is something that you would see written on Twitter today, but it was written, you know, 130 Mm -hmm. years ago. And it's this thing of like people automatically being suspicious of her as a powerful and smart black woman promoting herself when actually she was promoting a cause. Yes.
1: Yeah. I, I think that that suspicion is particularly centered on women. Uh, and, and I think that maybe that's the case in the twenty first century as well. But I think that's a that's a that's an important connection. Yeah, I
0: mean, I'm thinking as you're talking about AOC and like the way people talk about how she presents publicly and saying like, oh, she's just doing this for her own self promotion, not because she's here to promote this cause. So it seems like that's sort of a through line.
1: Yes, it definitely is. And um, she's a great example, as are many other, you know, new, you know, relatively recently elected um, female politicians of how women are, female political leaders are really trying to kind of reinvent how to be a a public figure, um, make themselves appear more authentic, you know, less, you know, they're still walking the tightrope of likability and, Um, you know, masculinity. But um, I think someone like AOC is, is making, doing a really good job of making herself seem like a human. (laughs) And it's really pleasant.
0: (laughs) I agree. Yeah. Her, I like her Instagram live videos where she's just sort of making dinner and seems like a person. It's very relatable, even though Allison and I, Allison H and I don't cook. So in a way that part's not relatable, but
1: yeah, I think that the way she styles herself is really interesting, right? So on the one hand, she'll tell you, she'll like write about her skin care routine. And on the other hand, you know, after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, um, she created a video and made the choice to like put on a blazer mm. for that video, right? And like, you know, just like she's like trying, she's like combining this like very feminine um, uh, conversation that people, you know, our age are having right now. Um, and also with this, like then shifting to like more of a masculine symbol of authority and leadership uh, in a, in a different video like that. I think it's really interesting the way that she kind of um, is really aware of that.
2: There's some politicians uh, from the Midwest that show up on my page on TikTok all the time. And for me, it's, it's frankly such a turnoff because I, Imagine that they have a job to do and I'm just, I'm not interested in their sneakers. And I I think it's fine. And I think it's a tactic and I'm not criticizing those individuals. I really am interested in what do you have to say? And I would always rather see a polished speech than you just going off the dome on the train. But, but I think like people have to balance those different approaches. Like, I just know that I would prefer to watch something that was polished and put together by a team, but people now interpret authenticity differently. Like, I understand that someone like John F. Kennedy didn't write those speeches, but I appreciate the way that they were delivered, right? Or like, I'm, I'm interested in, in that presentation, but I don't think that's going to help you in 2020. I think
1: that you are hitting on something that is a real tension in politics yeah. right now. There's a divide between people who want kind of a sense of um, a cl- closeness with their political leaders. You know, the sense that this is their real selves versus um, a, a more poised, a more collected, a more uh, strategic, uh, mapped out uh you know, speech. I think that that, that we're, at, we're at a moment where it's not just thinking about the ideas that we share and don't share, but also the style of politics is very much at mm-hmm. odds. Do
0: you think that the current style of politics has affected the ways that the suffrage commemoration has sort of rolled out?
1: Yes, we've seen it come up a little bit. Um, I've noticed that political party, specifically the Republican party actually has really claimed the 19th amendment as its own victory, um, which I think is really interesting. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> as a historian, well, as a historian, like you guys know, it's like the Republican party of 2020 is not the same as the Republican party of 1920 or the same as the Republican party of 1870. It's, it's just, I I barely see them as, like, the same thing. But I think that for people who really believe in, like, the party system and, like, feel strongly affiliated with a particular party, they feel like that's their team. And that's, you know, how it's shaped over time. What is your take
0: on the suffrage movies that we've been given? Like, can you give us some fierce feedback popular representations of suffrage.
1: Well, the most popular representation of suffrage is, of course, from Mary Poppins. (sighs) Yeah. I mean, talk
0: about a suffrage who's beautiful. Suffragist who's beautiful. Or was she a suffragette? I think
2: she's a jet.
0: I guess she's a jet. I don't know, guys. I'm all mixed up inside, but that song is iconic. That was my first introduction to a suffragette.
1: I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I had any sense of what they were talking about when I first saw that. And when you really listen to the song, like knowing about the suffrage movement and how suffragettes were kind of demeaned and um, mocked and kind of looked at as like these scary figures, when you listen to the song again, it's like, I'm listening really a very positive <laughs> <Not> song.
2: <laughs>
0: I mean, <laughs> my question to you is, do you think Mary Poppins was even clued into that conversation? Or do you think because of her whatever her powers were that she basically was like I don't even need suffrage like this is so beneath me she doesn't even need okay. suffrage
1: okay she is greater than suffrage have
0: you seen the Enola Holmes movie that just came out on Netflix that I have has a British suffragette very too brief for my liking I actually was very into it Allison I don't know if you've seen this but it has a jujitsu moment It does. Like you go to a secret suffragette jujitsu hangout meetup space. I don't know if I'm describing that accurately. Please feel free to correct. You totally
1: are. And it's kind of sad because you know there's a connection between suffrage and jujitsu, but they don't make that they don't make it clear in the movie that there were actually suffragists learning how to do jujitsu as they were like doing these public protests. And I thought that was so disappointing.
0: I had a photo that I blew up sort of illegally at like a Kinko's of that photo. It's a cartoon of the suffragette who knew jujitsu, that like famous image. So I'm all about this because I was obsessed with that like in high school weirdly, not really sure why. I've never pursued jujitsu, but <laughs> but I yeah. loved that moment, but it did make me think like I'm actually sort of feeling like we've never really gotten the popular representation of suffrage that's really satisfied me except for that like two minutes of a film in which it's never directly addressed.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, there's Iron John Angels, which is an HBO movie focused on largely Alice Paul. And I show that one to my students and they are fascinated by it because it's one of the best representations of the parades and pickets and arrests and jailings and force beatings. It's like highly emotional. However, Alice Fall has like a love interest in it. It is very Hollywoodized. Um, and then there's the Suffragette. I think that's the other one that came out a couple of years ago. Um, and that one is, is interesting, but, um, but I think you're right. We haven't gotten a fabulous suffrage pick yet, but there is actually a book called The Woman's Hour Um, by Elaine Weiss that has, um, that was uh, like optioned and is being turned into a series like supported by like Hillary Clinton and Steven Spielberg. So like maybe something interesting will come out of it. We'll see.
0: What do we have to do to get you hired as like the historical consult on that production? I don't know, but please find out. We need you as like an American Girls podcast correspondent, boots on the ground. What's Hillary like? What kind of pantsuit does she wear
1: to set? White. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. (gasps) Whoa. I mean, suffrage white, right? That's what she accepted the the nomination in. And I think that she would be on brand.
0: But I think that what you're saying about these representations makes me think about that really great quote. um, Other Allison mentioned from Louisa May Alcott about they're not angels, like they're suffragists because they're not angels, like they're real people. Too many of the representations to me presuppose that we will only accept representations of suffragists as angels instead of like fully people, including, frankly, queer people, even though that term would not have made sense in that time, like their relationships, you know, we would now read in that way. And often the popular representations erase that, too.
1: They really do. And I think that um, there's a new book coming out eventually by Wendy Rouse, who is going to tell the story about sexuality and the suffrage movement that we have been needing forever. (laughs) And, you know, as you say, you know, Susan B. Anthony had, like, intimate relationships with women. Um, There's, like, a, she burned a lot of her papers. You know, all the historians, I think, are angry about that. But she, like, had a very particular version of herself she wanted to leave behind. But luckily, Anna Dickinson, who she wrote some letters to, did not.
2: (laughs) So we have some, like,
1: very interesting letters between them. But I mean, she's just one example, right? Um, there are so many other Mm. suffragists who, you know, led lives where they were partnered with women. Very obviously. I mean, Carrie Chapman cat was, was buried with like her female partner. (laughs) So instead of her husband.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love that as a power move. Like, Oh my God, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, it really tells you
0: a lot. Tells a story. Wow. I want to be on that cemetery tour. Wow. Amazing. I would love to say it's a shame that Susan B. Anthony burned a lot of her papers, but I also know that Allison and I have a third friend who very early on in our friendship, we were like, you are the person we pick. If we're taken out, you have to immediately delete our Gmail. Like, don't Mm -hmm. read it. Just get into both of our Gmails. Burn it. Yeah. I mean, it's a
1: that's a it, it is reasonable to think about like what you would want people to find of yours and what, what you wouldn't want people to find. Nonetheless, as a historian, I want all of Susan B. Anthony's letters. Same.
2: Yeah. So you mentioned suffrage white in the context of pantsuits, but we did get a lot of questions about race. And as kind of like before our because we are gonna give you like a quick five OG challenge, but um could you talk a little bit about black suffragists and women of color suffragists and they don't have to be pre-1920 that people haven't heard about that you think everybody should have heard about because we got like six different versions of that question but i think it's something that people it's like they know that the version of suffrage that they learned in school was very white and middle or upper class but they don't know who to look at outside of those names
1: yeah, I think one of my favorites is Sojourner Truth. I've mentioned her a couple of times. I'm just going to mention her again. And if you're interested in kind of seeing an exhibit that I actually helped um, create, it's called Truth Be Told. Um, and it's sponsored by um, Pivotal Ventures and Evoke. And I think if you Google that, that's that's accessible. But it's specifically about Black women in the suffrage movement. So Sojourner Truth is a Fascinating um, figure who is an anti-slavery and women's rights activist, lecturer. um, And another person from that same time period who I think is well worth looking into is Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, both a poet, um, a writer, but also a really fantastic speaker. I mean, if you wanna find some great 19th century inspiring quotes, read some Frances (laughs) Ellen Watkins Harper. Those will be great on Instagram, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, Ida B. Wells, we already mentioned, but um, Mary Church Terrell, I just found it so fascinating when I was researching her. The very first biography of her ever is coming out later in 2020 by Allison Parker. Oh. It's called Unceasing Militant, and I cannot wait <laughs> to read it. Um, and, you know, actually, they the Library of Congress just... Both digitized and transcribed all of her papers. So those are actually fully accessible. Um, So, yeah, Mary Church Terrell, like born during the Civil War and, you know, first president of the National Association of Colored Women and, you know, lived into her 80s in the 1950s. She was like picketing segregated restaurants in Washington, D.C. She lived an extraordinary life.
0: Yeah, she was someone definitely in your book that I remember thinking. I can't believe I don't know more about this person and I definitely want to know more about this person. It blows my mind that we don't have a biography of her as of yet.
1: We do have an autobiography of her, which is the most um, you know, it it it's telling that it just like kind of Susan me Anthony, right? She Terrell had like a very particular story of herself she wanted to tell. Um, She was a particularly well-off woman. She's one of the first Black women to receive an undergraduate degree. She has a lot to prove in that autobiography. I
2: think we wanted to kind of ask you a challenge, if that's okay? Yes. Okay. So there was a podcast about suffrage, and it was called The Magic Sash, and these children got to go back in time. So we're going to pretend that you also have one. Okay. And so it says books for women instead of votes for women. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. Okay, so i I think you were born for this. So, also, I think what we've learned is in a half hour conversation, I went from Allison to other Allison. So that's been noted.
0: You have Allison's phone number. Like we both have deficits we're working with. Okay, I know you guys can text about this later. I won't know what you're talking about because I'm not on the thread.
2: So i I basically made a list of like a bunch of resources that people could read that are about the time periods that each of the five OGs lived in. and I'm open like how how do we want to do this? Like do we want to like pick what we think are like the essential ones or like how like what should the challenge be? I think what we
0: could do is say like which one do we think the the doll needs first? Like, what's yes. the most essential to what's happening with her? Like, her issues.
2: Yes. And Allison always has the Trump card. So, we'll do a few for each. And you always have the Trump card of, like, none. She needs to start over here. Does okay. that work for everyone? Right. Okay.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited, Allison. And, and other Allison, please feel free to begin the questions whenever you're I would ready. love to.
2: So, Felicity Merriman... Colonial Gal, 1774 to 1775. Which of these does she need the most? Rosemary Zagari, Revolutionary Backlash. Kathleen Brown, Good Wives, Nasty Wenches, and Anxious Patriarchs. Edmund Morgan, American Slavery, American Freedom. Or Sally Roshwagner, Wagner, Sisters in Spirit, The Haudenosaunee Influence on Early American Feminists.
1: Damn. I definitely have a soft spot for Rosemary Zagari's book. I mean, how can you not get excited about learning that, like, women were voting in New Jersey after it became a state and were voting there until 1808? That's fascinating. I was fascinated by it. You know, Felicity could have, if she moved to New Jersey, she could have been voting even before anyone else.
0: You know, she could have been leading a one-woman party for equine rights, equine candidacy. (laughs) For Penny to take office
2: in some way? I think so. Bold, brave, Dude, possible. So, our next gal is Josefina, who we know and remember and love and cherish. And I kind of went like an unexpected direction with some of these. So, don't, don't be nervous. Okay. So, just based on her really unconventional and I thought bizarre relationship with Patrick, I put in Joanne Freeman's Affairs of Honor because I just feel like she's into like weird white guy stuff. Yep. Um, Katherine Algor Parker Politics, Parlor Politics. My apologies to Kath. Um, Kathleen Cahill's forthcoming book, which we did just talk about, or Kathleen Marino's Feminism for the Americas, or Celebrating the Right of Women to Vote in New Mexico, a University of New Mexico research guide. That was kind of for me. Interesting.
1: Those all sound amazing. I. I think that Kathleen Cahill's book, Recasting the Vote. I mean, I mostly because I can't wait to read it. So I feel like surely Josephina would have been excited to read it too. I, I think, think that's any the, of those.
0: I think that's the right title, but I just want to say, like, in the spirit of reading against the text, like affairs of honor. Is technically like blowing the whistle on the vi- culture of violence among white male politicians, but I do think it would give Josefina an understanding of what she was up against with Tia Dolores. So I'm just putting that out there. Yes.
2: That's fair. That's fair. I think so. Okay. Kirsten, we also like, I kind of took it to a different place because I feel like as an adult, Kirsten was like, had such a good heart that she was willing to stretch and that she could become a harsh critic of white supremacy in her own lifetime. So that's where I went with her. Um, I gave her these choices. Ida B. Wells, Crusade for Justice, um, an official uh, park article on women's suffrage in the West, like a little closer to home, um, an exhibit on organizing for the vote from Minnesota Historical, or more recent, Stephanie Jones Rogers, They Were Her Property.
1: All those are fantastic. (laughs) And I think I would want her to read something about I think that reading about women in the west, women's voting rights in the west would be fantastic because then maybe she'd get it going like even earlier, right? Um although all of those would be fantastic choices.
0: Follow-up question, do you which prince song would Kirsten most benefit from hearing as an adult? <sighs>
1: I have no idea. Like, why don't you tell me? What you I'm mean? just going to
0: say <laughs> I'm going to answer my own question and say that, like, I would let her listen to Raspberry Beret just as like a I knew it. gateway drug. But it's only because I don't think she could handle Darling Nikki just straight out the gate. No. But I think that that's where she should end up. Just saying. Yeah.
2: You I know, people fair. can
0: contradict me. I'm okay with that, but I'm just saying.
2: I apologize. This has turned into like the longest worst day of your life with this challenge, but um, it's almost over. So I did also make a note because I started tracking. I was like, which of these women would have had any chance to vote? And if Felicity stayed in Virginia, despite her privilege, she would not. Josefina would not. Kirsten would not in her lifetime unless she lived to be like pretty senior Addie. I gave her fewer choices, but they were very carefully chosen because I I think her stories are like so well-researched. I think she would do her homework and have a tight list. Nell Irvin Painter, Sojourner Truth, A Life, A Symbol, Ellen Carol Du Bois, Suffrage, Women's Long Battle for the Vote, or A Personal fave, Catherine Kish Sklar's Women's Rights Emerges with the Anti-Slavery Movement, A Short History with Documents, because I just assume Addie's a teacher of some kind.
1: I have definitely used that in class, the scar uh, that for St. Martin Reader. It's fantastic. And I mean, but you also cannot go wrong with Nell Painter's Sojourner Truth. Honestly, Sojourner Truth is fascinating. And it is definitely the definitive biography of her at the moment of Sojourner Truth.
2: So, I mean. That's a great choice. You know, <laughs> <all great pieces. laughs> got to give Addie someone to look up. I think so. Besides the mirror. <laughs>
0: I was going to say it's, it's her in 10 years sort or of whatever Matthew McConaughey's. Yes.
2: Okay. I love that. Um, <laughs> for Samantha, we chose kind of a mix. Um, Adam Hochschild's recent book, Rebel Cinderella, about a socialist queen. Um, Annalise Orlik's Common Sense and a Little Fire. Alison Lang, picturing political power. Or Susan Ware's Why They Marched. I mean, I'm going to choose my book. I'm going okay,
1: to give some of you. Like yes. I read I'll her like books. And I was going to yell like at you.
2: <laughs> yeah. She should, of course, read my book. I agree.
0: Totally agree. Um,
2: last and literally least, because I was running out of steam, Molly McIntyre, Girl of 1944, Linda Kerber's No Constitutional Right to Be Ladies, and or, probably just and, Martha S. Jones, Vanguard. I mean, Vanguard. I'm. gonna
1: have I mean, to.
2: The problem is you gave
1: me so many fantastic titles here. It was, it was a real tough one just throughout the quiz. Um, But but Martha Jones Vanguard is, you know, the latest, greatest on, on women in politics. Wow.
0: Well, you handled that quiz like a champ. Thank you for engaging that. And your answers were instructive. And I feel like I wish in particular, Felicity would hit the
1: books and see where we go from there. Yeah, and maybe move to New Jersey. Both and, pretend. you know, you probably you really had to be a widow. So probably Mary, her husband, must very quickly die, and then she could vote.
2: Ben had no chance.
1: There you go.
0: He'd probably, like, get lost and then, like, never be heard from again because his maps make no sense. So he would literally hand it out and people would be like, I don't know where this is. Like, I don't no. know. no, Begin to know how to find you, and I don't care. So... I'm moving on. She would wait till he could be legally, like, declared dead, and then vote. That's exactly what she would do.
1: Make sure she had enough property from him first.
0: Whoa. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because she needed a certain amount of property
1: to vote.
2: (laughs) I like that, Allison. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you would like to share with people or to promote in addition to your book, which is wonderful?
1: Well, I think that everyone is wondering what you guys think of Samantha now, because there was a lot of, you know, concern, apprehension, shall we say, about Samantha in particular. But as a listener, it seems like you guys have enjoyed Samantha.
0: Before I answer this question, I need to know is which one you identify with. Which HR... Samantha. Oh, God okay
2: well she's a she's a wasn't and is like she had samantha and she is a samantha which is a beautiful trajectory
0: it is um what i would say is that the experience of reading these books allison and i have not laughed this hard in a long time so i'm not sidestepping the question about how i feel about her although i think i i have more respect or i have more empathy for her after rereading these books um But I will say the toughest moment in any book I've ever read is clearly like, can we can Nellie be the maid? And they're like, no, we want to adopt her. And it's just like (sighs) having to sit with her assumption that that was like the highest high Nellie could get, which actually makes sense for her class worldview is like, what a tough way to end this series. Frankly, that will be with me till the day I die, as will Guard's love of automobiles. I don't know. Allison, how do you feel? I have
2: loved loved rereading Samantha. I, I think genuinely we've changed our mind on every character, right? We've we've changed our take on everything because we read them completely differently. Like we're completely different. I mean The kind of strange thing about being us is like we have to defend our eight-year-old opinions on dolls like once a day on social media Mm -hmm. or like reaffirm that we do know how to do math of when these not real people would have been born, which like we do know how to do. I think what was like really kind of surprising to me is by a total accident of fate and history, we read her at the perfect time because I think Samantha is a great conversation starter about white privilege and how you use the privilege that you have uh, relative to other people. And I think I really, really loved her heart and the way that she cared about family and the way that she struggled to make sense of that for herself. Like I, I think I projected a lot onto Samantha where it was like she had really nice stuff. And now that I look back, it's like she had nice stuff. But in her story, she's a very different person than I think I made her out to be.
0: Yeah, and I think I also just erased or forgot how much of her story has grief at the center as like the motivating force and how sad that is. And but I also think as a reading experience like this, I can't speak for other Allison, but it these books hit at a moment when I was hitting burnout with everything going on in the world. Like I just had absolute fatigue, could not take anything in and To read these books, which were so insane on so many different levels, like the fact that the illustrations of the twins are exactly like Annie, like, like Valerie Tripp, dot, 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 like all of it. I think it gave me such a healthy escape at the right, the exact right moment that I'm really grateful that it worked out this way. And it kind of reminds me of like being in college and being a senior in college. We graduated during like the Great Recession And that's when I started watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians, which also makes no sense. Like, why would someone with no money want to watch people who have way too much, who have no mission, seemingly like it's impossible to know what's driving that. And yet I couldn't get enough of it. And it was just sort of like the bomb I needed, like at that moment. And I think for Allison, too, like we both watched it and we've been rewatching it now. But so it was like a perfect reading experience, too. How about you as like a person who identifies as me, they like, in some
1: ways, the stakes are highest for you. I, when I was rereading it, um, I didn't remember that much from it. But I will say that when I got to the part where her neighbor put salt in the ice cream, I like had a visceral memory of, of reading about that before. And I remembered very little else, but it's fascinating that that was like something that had stuck with me
0: you know what that's gonna stick with me forever because I take birthdays seriously and when people mess up other people's birthdays that I care about I I, it's like I will never forget this period that was so heinous I also don't know what function he actually served as a character because he he just drops out of the books like I think The only critique I would say of the series is that it does suffer from the multiple authors. And that's not the fault of any of the characters, obviously. But I do think they suffered because, you know, you have the author of the first book who sets up sort of like one trajectory. And then as we all know, like Val Trip comes in and just is like, no, like the series has been at a three. I'm taking it to a 12. There's going to be major events I'm not even going to cover. I'll just allude to them because I don't have time. So it just reads kind of all over the place. Not a bad thing, but it is it is a little uneven.
1: Yeah, it is. But there's a puppy in there. I mean, it it really, (laughs) there's a
0: lot happening in this It allowed us to think or revisit the great Nellies of history. So... That's true. I'll always be grateful for that.
2: If people want to reach out to Allison, if you have places... That you want people to reach you or plug things.
1: Sure. So I am on Instagram at Professor Lang, L-A-N-G-E, and on Twitter as a K Lang1, but there's a lot of stuff on my website, which is AllisonKLang.com, which has links to the Truth Be Told website, um, a variety of articles and all kinds of like upcoming talks and things that I've got. So that, that, that's where to find me.
0: And is there a pop culture thing that you're obsessed with right now that you would like to recommend to our listeners? We're always looking for fun
1: things to watch and read and take in. I think that Enola Holmes is a great place to start. I'm fascinated by the Susan B. Anthony Barbie and seriously considering adding it to my Centennial collection. Um, I think you yeah. have to.
0: Couldn't you write that off on your taxes as a work expense? Surely. Surely, Surely. I I could. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. I think it was designed for you. Like, I think you actually have to buy that.
1: I probably do. I think that, you know, the only other thing that I would want to, like, remind people is that we should vote in the upcoming yes. election. Yes. This is, you know, after studying these suffragists for so many years, um, people wouldn't, Organize so much to oppose this movement if it weren't such a powerful thing to have. So I think that's, you know, an important reminder. That's
0: right. Are you doing a remote ballot? I just got my ballot in the mail today, so I'm very excited. Um, how about
1: you? Are you going in person? What's the plan? I think I'm going to vote in person early. Mm. I think that's my current plan. Because I did request an absentee ballot, but I think voting in person might be more reliable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I've heard, how about you guys absentee ballot for you, Mary? I'm definitely doing absentee ballot just because, you know, I've got some autoimmune stuff. So I'm trying to limit my exposure to large groups when I can, but I'm very excited to do that tomorrow and just drop it off and bring it right to town hall. Perfect. Allison, what are you doing?
2: I am voting in person, just like Lydia Taft, the first woman voter in Massachusetts who lived in Uxbridge. So I am, I voted in person in the primaries a few weeks ago, and I felt really good about the protocols that my community had in place. So I am going to vote and I will be doing that on November 3rd. Exciting. I don't know why I said that, like everyone else is voting at a different time. But I mean, we are on different timelines.
1: Yeah. I mean, Massachusetts is voting early in the next couple of weeks. So everyone's voting all over the place right now, (laughs) anytime in the next like month. It's insane, truly, but important.
0: Well, thank you so much. This has been such a dream. Thank you.
1: (laughs) It's been really fun chatting with you guys.
0: Well, thank you to our friend. I'm calling her my friend. I mean, I feel like I'm about to get her phone number, Alison Lang. I'll see you on the group text. Um, thanks so much for being here, for being such a wonderful guest and for your book, which we highly recommend to all of our listeners. Um, before we close, we just have a couple announcements that we really are excited to share with you. The first is, you know, thanks to everyone who's bought merchandise from us thus far. But we're so excited to note that we are relaunching our store today. So if you go to our store, go to our website, americangirlspod.com. And in the show notes, you'll see a link as well. We're so excited that now we can offer t-shirts, sweatshirts, tapestries, lunch boxes, laptop sleeves, mugs, like you name it. You can get all the designs on some really cool stuff. And if you're staying indoors like I am, you're investing in a lot of sweatshirts these days. So, you know, it feels like the right time.
2: Yes. Um, And we're really grateful, again, to the artist Brie Morris, who did a lot of our designs. And so really go check that out. Um, It's just another way also to support the show. Allison taught us a lot about the power of promotion right?
0: That's right. She did.
2: So we do just want to also mention that we have a Patreon and we thank everyone who supports us there so much. It's such a joy to make those episodes. We do put out an extra episode every month for the people who subscribe to our Patreon. It's $3. And part of what we have going on over there has evolved. So we haven't talked about it in a long time. But we usually read something or we do something extra every single month and we make an episode about it. Um, We've done everything from the Dear America book about the Titanic to Jessica Simpson's memoir to this month. It was such a scary and fun delight to reread The Witch of Blackbird (laughs) Pond. And so part of what we have going on on the Patreon is... We do polls where we ask folks if they'd like to do a watch-along with us. Um, We also post that extra bonus episode. And part of why we do the watch-along is we have a Discord channel. If you are like me, you did not know what Discord was until we created this on Patreon. But listener and friend Joelle helped us set it up. I promise it's very easy and there are very clear directions you're basically just in a big group chat with us and a bunch of patrons watching something at the same time. I can do it. I mean, my Courtney doll can even do it. She's on there. So, And we have some exciting things coming up on there. We want to add some extra channels, which again, it's almost just sort of like, Good facilitated group chat rooms um, on the Bachelor, and there's also going to be a space for D and D that will be facilitated by listeners. So it's just kind of a space where you can come and we chat or we watch things together.
0: Exactly, and you know we've had so much fun watching um, a Mary Kane Ashley movie. We watched rewatched we Annie not long ago. We are going to be watching Hocus Pocus soon as a group and people in these chats just make me laugh so hard. So it's really just a space for community and fun. So we really encourage you to check it out if that sounds of interest to you. And if you're already a member of the Patreon and you would like a Discord channel to kind of talk about a topic that you're you think a lot of other listeners would be interested in like the bachelor or D&D or what have you, please get in touch with us because you know we really want to facilitate this community in a way that's equitable and kind of like meeting the needs of our listeners.
2: Mary, I have one last question for you. Uh-oh, yes. It's it's not it's not a bad one. What state is Felicity Merriman from? The Colony of Virginia. That's so interesting that you bring that up. So, one of our listeners reached out to wish um or asking us to wish his wife, Virginia, a happy first anniversary for their first year of marriage. So we wanted to wish Virginia and Mr. Evergreen a very, very happy and happy Evergreen marriage for the rest of their life. We hear that she's sort of a Josefina, which we love. So Into it. we wanted to wish them a happy anniversary. And we're so honored that you wanted us to be a part of
0: it. Yeah, and we've heard that Virginia is a listener of the show. And so, hey, Virginia, thanks so much for tuning in. We so appreciate you listening and, you know... I don't know what to say about having your first year of marriage being 2020 or mostly 2020, but I think what it means is if you can make it through 2020, you can make it through anything. So congratulations to you both and many future happy years together.
2: Totally agree. If you want to reach out to us, if you want to share um, any of your further feedback, you can write to us at americangirlspod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you there. You should also definitely check out our website, which has the information all about our store relaunch and a link to our Patreon, where you can join for $3 a month. You can find me at Allison Harrix on all of the things where you'll see photos of my cat and not me. And, Mary, if folks want to get the latest about your skateboarding adventures or other things, where should wow. they find you? You know, if you want to
0: see if I've finally been brave enough to order wheels for my skateboard, please find me at Mimi Mahoney on Instagram and at Mary Mahoney one, two, three on Twitter. Love. And also because of our Witch of Blackbird Pond journey, I want to make a sound map of everyone's memories of the book. So if you read that book and it made an impact on you and you just even have a weird story or thing you remember about it, record a voice memo and email it to us at americangirlspod at gmail.com and you can be part of the project. And please let us know if you would like to be credited by name or not. Thanks for listening. See you on the next episode. Bye.